Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Hey, hey, friends. Welcome. How's it going? I'm great. Julie, how you doing today? Great. My friend is here. Yeah. <laughs> Julie <laughs> stacked the day. deck today because she brought in her awesome friend, Lindsay. She didn't get in because of her friendship. She got in because of her incredible she acumen. Is power she is a powerhouse, house. y'all. So excited. Um, so we're really excited to talk to Lindsay Percival today. She is with Make-A-Wish America. And she started here just not too far from here, actually, in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is where our studio is. Um, but she went to the University of Oklahoma and was a top 10 senior. Do you know how incredibly Ooh. difficult that is um, on all the school. metrics that they're looking at? But she went on to make a wish and he served here at the local level, and then they tapped her to go to the national level. And so we're going to really hear about her expertise in working with volunteers. She has had an incredible career, and I feel like she's just getting started. So you, this is one that you've got to watch. But I'll tell you, in our first five minutes of just chatting before this started, we're going to have a blast. We're going to have a blast. <laughs> we're going to laugh so much. But I wanted to pass it over to Lindsay and say hi, and you can fill in some dots of maybe your experience what led you to today, Lindsay. I'd be happy to. Thanks so much for having me, John, Becky, and Julie. So good to see awesome. you. Um, <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. Jonathan, uh, really, he covered it. Um, that was my career journey. I, I didn't necessarily grow up thinking I would go into nonprofit. I didn't know what I wanted to do for a really long time. So I tried all different kinds of stuff. And I think that is ultimately what led me to nonprofit because as anybody knows, um, you've got to be ready to wear lots of different hats. And so I really do enjoy that. Um, my first official professional ex professional experience in nonprofit was with Make-A-Wish Oklahoma um, in 2017. I got to really spend some time gaining that local nonprofit perspective. Um, as the community and volunteer engagement coordinator there. Uh, really loved it. And so um, now I serve on the mission advancement team at Make-A-Wish America, uh, which is where we're headquartered in Phoenix. I work remotely. Uh, my role as a volunteer engagement specialist is to build connections with our chapter volunteer staff. That's the, the biggest part. So in doing that, I host networking calls for our volunteer staff. I design key volunteer resources to support uh, them as well as our volunteers, and I build training curriculum to enhance our ability to grant quality wishes. So, I mean, we all love Make-A-Wish, right? I mean, I, mean, I hope everybody <laughs> listening knows what Make-A-Wish is. I mean, I, right. it's probably one of the most recognizable charities. And I, I mean, we were talking before the call started, and it's like, I don't know of a way to get immediate joy into your heart <laughs> than to hear about a sick child who is getting their dream. And I, I'm so excited to hear the stories. And, and I know we're talking a lot about volunteers and I, and I saw this sentence on your resume and I feel like it bears mentioning because 
it's just so extraordinary that Lindsay, during her tenure, launched new volunteer roles, piloted events, and helped grow the organization's statewide volunteer base by 197%. Yeah. And so... And I would have rounded up to 200. Yeah, I mean, we probably <laughs> would have said in upwards <laughs> of. Um, but I, I just think this is an area, I mean, as people are starting to talk so much more about engagement, especially right now in COVID, and, and trying to virtually reach out and connect with people, this is such a hot topic right now. And so I'm so curious about um, where, where, where you're going to take us today. So talk a little bit about the mission of Make-A-Wish. Um, and, and I think you have a really incredible story about the first wish that was ever granted. Yes, I love to tell that story. So I'll sort of set the stage for you. Um, our mission statement is together we create life-changing wishes for children with critical illnesses. And so I'll tell you a little bit about you know, where Make-A-Wish is today in that mission and then the history that led us to that point. So Make-A-Wish is the world's largest wish granting organization. Um, just last week, we granted our 500,000th wish oh worldwide. Wow. Wish oh, Katrina. It was wonderful. Wow. You should check it out. Um, we serve every community in the United States, Guam and Puerto Rico, through 59 chapters, totaling more than 34,000 volunteers who generously give their time and energy to fulfill the mission. And, and we really rely heavily on these volunteers who serve in capacities of wish granting, office administrative support, board service language translation, special event planning, fundraising is a big one, and, and truthfully so much more. And so um, kind of going back to our, to our history now, the inspiration for Make-A-Wish all started in 1980 with Chris Gracious. He, is a, he was a seven-year-old boy diagnosed with leukemia who wanted nothing more than to become a police officer. And so law enforcement officers heard about Chris's wish to be a police officer and my gosh, they responded to the call. Um, a police helicopter flew him to the Arizona Department of Public Safety headquarters for oh a tour. Chris experienced the thrill of riding in a patrol car and was named the first ever honorary state patrolman in Arizona history. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> um, you know, the enforcement community presented him with a custom tailored uniform and a motorcycle helmet and a campaign hat and the motorcycle wings that he earned on his own battery powered bike. So it was a, it was an incredible experience. And many of those responsible for fulfilling Chris's wish wanted to do the same for other children with critical medical conditions. And so they founded the Make-A-Wish Foundation in November of 1980. And it's our 40th anniversary this year. So in 1981, Make-A-Wish granted its first official wish to a boy named Bobsy who wished to go to Disneyland. That's Always awesome. Disney. I, yep. I mean, can we, every kid. I was going to say, is this where the um, <laughs> sort of vernacular term of I want to go to Disney World, did make a wish, start that like, phrase? You yes. just, Maybe. you just ask. Yes. I can neither confirm Absolutely. nor deny. <laughs> own it. I would own it. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, Lindsay, I'm trying to literally do mental math in my head. First, I'm like 500,000 wishes. What does that actually look like? Yes. And then I'm also thinking 36,000 volunteers and, you know, I've been in roles that we've managed even up to like a couple hundred volunteers and I've got mad respect for that. Right? So overwhelming. I'm like, my it's heart so is going fast and getting sweaty. Just thinking about having a hundred volunteers do anything. Right? right. And so 
I know that y'all have got to be really good, obviously, at corralling volunteers, but it seems like, you know, if I think about a wish, it's like sometimes you go to Disney World, but sometimes you're flying in a helicopter. It's like, is there a template? And I wonder if you could walk us through how do you, you know, engage volunteers and what is this, you know, engagement puzzle look like? And if you could break it down for us, that'd be amazing. Oh, I'd love to. Um, you know, so firstly, every single wish experience is unique and truly tailored to the child. And so it's true. Um, there are so many different types of wishes and even Disney wishes, like we've been talking about Disney World or Disneyland. Um, I mean, it's true that no experience is ever truly going to look alike. Our volunteers are so highly trained in getting to know um, the heart of the child and and going, what is the most meaningful part of this wish? Let's make sure that this wish is truly your wish and just um, the amazing experience. So let's talk about uh, you know, just generally, the volunteer engagement puzzle, the volunteer engagement role is is huge and it encompasses a lot of responsibility across many facets of the organization. It's outreach, it's human relations, it's training and education, screening and placement, it's fundraising, it's program, it's operations. You know, it's it's so much that it can be very puzzling. It can. And so to help break it down, let's talk about what I would consider um, the four corner pieces of the volunteer engagement puzzle. So we're going to do some visualization today. I love it. I got out um, my big puzzle. I'm on yeah. my chase lounge in the therapy suite, like ready to roll. And Go, I love that you're us. starting with corners because that's what I do too when I'm looking at puzzles. Yes. Well, I've got good news. There's only four pieces in the puzzle we're talking oh, about today. So this is the simplest puzzle you will ever make. You we cannot can get do this it wrong. Together. Okay. Good. Okay. If you're taking notes, this is where number one starts out. And I have Hit to say, wins. pull over if you're yes. driving. Right. Pull Thank over you, to take John. notes. That's right. So number one, I'm going to go in the top left corner. Okay. Um, the onboarding experience. This is a big piece of volunteer engagement. I recommend thinking of the way you onboard volunteers as a multi-step first impression, which is really on both sides, okay? It's our job to make the process flow smoothly. For the volunteer, we need to see commitment to the mission and a desire to serve it, as well as a specific skill set that we're looking for. So the way we introduce volunteers to the mission really sets a tone for the rest of the experience. So use this first impression mindset and everything from the way you recruit to how you select the right person for the role to how you actually prepare them to serve. But really, it starts before you ever recruit. Um, look at the way that your volunteer roles are designed. Could they use a refresh? Uh, this happens. So for example, at Make-A-Wish, we recently revised our wish granting volunteer roles so that volunteers could keep serving in a virtual capacity. Uh, we rolled out a social media role to meet a need that we identified. And it's just important to continuously revisit your role descriptions to make sure it's meaningful to both the volunteer and to the organization. Um, another piece of this first impression is your website. That's a critical piece. Um, are you setting an inclusive tone? Are your volunteer roles being promoted well on the website so anyone can get to them? Are you using language that anyone can understand if they're new to your mission? 
So these are all things to consider. And once the volunteer has been onboarded, are you intentionally creating milestones for these new volunteers to sort of check on their progress and maintain a welcoming atmosphere? It's still part of that first impression. They're still new to your organization. So these all play a role, um, but that really leads directly into training. And so my second puzzle piece, um, mm -hmm. if we're going next, now I'm in the top right corner, is the training mentality. Awesome. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what you're talking about with onboarding is just hits home because I think you have to shift your mentality too because I think it's easy when you're in these roles, you have all these things to do that you forget that they are volunteers and you need to like steward that experience and steward their time. And so I think setting the tone right from the beginning is really critical to that. And you either are going to make friends right out of the gate or not. <laughs> so, And I also love great. that you, the way you've started off is exactly the way anyone who's ever worked in a nonprofit starts off. When you say getting to know the heart of a child, I mean, that is what we're trying to do is we're getting to know the heart of a donor and we're trying to make those connection points. And I think the first corner is so brilliant because it really causes you to step back and do some self-reflection on are we communicating in the right way? Are we asking the right things of our volunteers? Because there's nothing worse than going into something as a volunteer with your heart in the right place. And you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I don't know exactly what they're wanting of me. And to create something that's so harmonious, just fast tracks your ability to get the mission served. So I'm already in. Number one, great, check. <laughs> check. <laughs> check. Very Two. well yeah. said. Yeah, very well said. And, you know, Jonathan, you're exactly right. It's, it's stewardship um, on both sides, like you mentioned, Becky, too. So training mentality, it's, it's the second quarter piece, um, which really ties beautifully into onboarding. Let's first talk about initial training. So once your volunteers have applied, it should be role specific. So at Make-A-Wish, we train on the history of the mission and we provide orientation of general knowledge that every volunteer should know. But then we provide role specific training to the volunteers, You know, really going through the steps of what to do, how to do it and identifying the necessary skills. Um, you know, Other things to consider, do you have a manual the volunteers can keep? Uh, consider how and where you're hosting your trainings. Um, is it difficult for somebody to be there based on where they live or what kind of hours they work? Are you holding them just in person or can they come online? These are just all things to consider when you're designing a successful initial training. So this is kind of what you were mentioning, Becky, about starting something new and being like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, think about any time you've had a negative experience starting something new, a job, a hobby, a class. If you can try to pinpoint what was difficult or frustrating about that experience, it's going to help you out here. So maybe it was a lack of communication. Maybe you didn't feel appropriately trained. Maybe the training was so overboard that you got overwhelmed and you're like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> so put yourself in the shoes of an incoming volunteer. Think through the process from the moment the person sees or hears about the opportunity to the moment they start volunteering. Um, so if this is hard for you to get sort of in that place from your job, uh, do you have a trusted friend or perhaps a focus group of existing volunteers that could help you, uh, get, you know, gives you some feedback on the process or uh, find ways to just ease your volunteer onboarding and training process accordingly. And again, it's all about that follow through with the first impression, which is why this ties so closely into our first puzzle piece. And 
going back to our earlier example about going virtual with some of our volunteer roles, it required us to rethink our training. Um, really, they're, they're married. So what is that sweet spot of sharing enough information that the volunteer feels prepared without oversharing so an attendee feels overwhelmed as they leave and essentially nothing sticks? You know, what pieces of the training made sense for us in the in-person role that we need to revisit for a virtual one. And here's a critical piece of this puzzle. Here's where a lot of folks say, okay, check. I trained my volunteer. They're new. I trained them all done. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's pivotal <laughs> for continuous training to be woven into the culture of the volunteer program. And frankly, I think this is true of any nonprofit role. We have to keep ourselves pointed in the direction of improvement, innovation, and efficiency. And this extends to our volunteer base. So we cannot train a volunteer once and call it good. Offering continuing education for your volunteers is ultimately going to help your retention. It's going to result in higher quality volunteer experiences. Uh, it's going to save you time as the volunteer engagement professional. So we owe it to our wish families to provide the best possible wish experience, but take it a step further and make continuing education a priority for yourself too. You know, listen to outside perspectives, uh, challenge yourself, innovate. Your nonprofit really needs you to professionally learn and personally grow. Everyone will benefit from that. So this training mentality, it's true for your volunteers, but it's true for you too. Lindsay, we everybody Lindsay? tap the scroll back 30 seconds and re-listen to that. I mean, 150 <laughs> percent. Where is know? my emoji of the head explosion? The yeah. tiny because um, that's where I am right now. I mean, because oh. we know why Lindsay grew volunteer engagement 197 <laughs> percent. I mean, because what what I think you're saying is so intuitive. And I think everybody listening would say, oh, yeah, I knew that. I, I would think that that sounds correct. But I don't think linearly we would put all of those steps in order. And what you just said that you know, even the c continuous training will help with retention. In my mind, if you're sitting here as a nonprofit professional who doesn't even engage with volunteers, you could apply this so seamlessly to any donor. And I would have to think that all of this retention and engagement with a volunteer would so naturally translate to them wanting to be more involved at a donor level or at the board level or wherever. I mean, it's just such an easy intuitive cultivation step. This is, I mean, this is fantastic. I just think there's so many practical tips that anyone could get from this. And don't you feel like it's, it's like what we talk about with boards. It's not, if your board is really disengaged and not helpful, it's because you're not pointing them that in that direction, right. most likely, you right. know? So same with volunteers, when you're training and you're coaching really clearly, you're going to get much more clear results. And so Goodness, and training could this. just be communication. Like, right? hey, this is what's going on right now. Hey, here's some really great, a great story about something that just happened. And we could learn from this. We could expound on this. There's just so many steps. Okay, we're slowing okay. down the process. Number three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm right there with you. Thank you. Um, okay, step number three is your engagement plan. So this is not just engaging with your volunteers. It's actually having a plan to map it all out. So I recommend making a calendar and mapping out your various communication plans. Now, notice that I said various communication because not all volunteers think and process alike. We're all humans. So just to name one component of this, let's say your primary communication with your volunteer base is through, you know, like a social media closed group. 
okay, there are five different generations that are volunteering right now. How might a Gen Z or a millennial uh, react to a social media post in comparison to somebody who grew up post-World War II? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. This is such a good tip. My grandma cannot find the podcast button on her (laughs) iPhone, the little purple. So I send her the YouTube links because it's just easier. That is a great example of how you have to meet your volunteers in the space that they're at. That is such a good hack. Yes. And meet them where they're at. And, you know, it's not to say that not, you know, I used to have a couple of volunteers um, that were in an older generation and they were some of the most tech savvy that I could find. And I would have them help other volunteers through the process, you know, so we can't generalize, but, uh, you know, to an extent, we got to meet them where they're at, uh, just like you said. And that's just one form of the diversity. We've got different learning styles, you know, visual, auditory. Um, a volunteer based is composed of all these wonderfully different people. And so needless to say, sending an email and hoping that everybody sees and understands and applies the announcement that you're making, it's <laughs> unlikely to yield the results that you're hoping to achieve. That so is the most politically correct way to say that too, Lindsay. May I just <laughs> say? so kind. You're so kind. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you are kind. You are kind. Um, you know, so make, make a plan that utilizes some diverse communication so you're not having to think through it every day of the week. Um, and in that same breath, take into account your different volunteer motivations as well. We all have different reasons to serve and different um, ways that we like to be appreciated. You know, volunteer appreciation. Some volunteers love to be given a social media spotlight or, you know, a handwritten note or some, Jonathan, don't want to be acknowledged at all. They don't want the attention, you know. Um, I feel like I saw something like that about you recently. Oh my gosh, Uh, yes, you pegged. Totally. So, you know, mapping out your appreciation is going to help you out. Um, your recommitment process, what's your timeline for this? Is there a contract that the volunteers need to sign? Okay, so in your plan for engagement, are you really giving them enough time to see that contract and have time to sign it and turn it to you in a timely manner? Um Okay, so back to volunteer appreciation. Do you think very many volunteers will recommit to another year with you if they haven't heard from you since the last go round? Um, So that's a really important piece. And then continuing education. So here we see the puzzle pieces really are fitting together. Training and education definitely need to be written into your engagement plan. Um, It's a big way to engage with your volunteers. And ultimately, this plan will allow you to fine tune your engagement throughout the year since ongoing communication it's a priority. Um, will your volunteers respond best to weekly emails or monthly newsletters? Do they like having engagement through the Facebook group or will they never see the information unless they get a phone call from you or maybe from a peer volunteer? Um, are your volunteers thriving in their roles or could they better serve in a different capacity? Do your, you know, the volunteer just different appreciation uh, methods that we talked about. Um, know your volunteers. Everyone is different, and it's so pivotal to stay in tune with these engagement intricacies. So, for spinning our wheels without a roadmap and goals for our year, it's really challenging to find time for the big picture. You know, the really important stuff like building relationships with your volunteers. And if you organize a plan like this to the best of your ability by the start of your year, you'll be able to devote more time to 
to getting to know your volunteers throughout the year. And the better you know them, the better you can serve them, and the better they can serve the mission. So one more time, I just want to call out how these puzzle pieces really fit into one another very intentionally. Um, your engagement plan, it involves recruitment. It involves ongoing training. And um, of course, it fits into our last puzzle piece um, because Ooh, your plan must be built on the foundation of your organization's values. Oh, we love values. Keep this going. Keeps coming I up. know. I Every, this is just a common theme that I don't know that it's just been elevated in our industry as much as it has. And um, yeah, I don't want to interrupt you. Keep going because you're on a roll. Oh, that's right. And <laughs> you're right. She it is. is. It's being talked about more and more, which is a great thing. So value focus is our fourth corner piece of the puzzle. We must infuse the organization's values into the entire culture of the volunteer base. This helps keep volunteer engagement practices consistently aligned with the mission and vision, sort of a North Star for your planning and decision-making and volunteer engagement. So it's also going to help you achieve a healthy balance between pace and quality. It's really important to find that balance. So it's going to be helpful down the road for things like change management management or even conflict resolution. Let's say you are communicating a change to the volunteer role or you're explaining why a volunteer's actions are not okay. It'll help to point to the values in this conversation and really help the volunteer see the significance. Now, this probably won't go over well if the volunteer hasn't heard about these values before. So from day one, from that first impression and the onboarding experience, you've got to make the values familiar and well-established and keep giving those updates and reminders. So to share some examples, um, one of the values of Make-A-Wish is child focus. We always put the wish kids first. So outside of some of the more obvious ways to uphold this value, we share stories of our wish kids with our volunteers. Um, you know, this fits into your engagement planning. Be sure to find ways to tell stories, convey the mission's need, give consistent reminders of why doing what they do is so pivotal. And this also ties into our value of community, a diverse group of people working together toward a common goal. So another example is our innovation value. We are bold, imaginative, and creative. And this value ties into the training mentality that we discussed, you know, that continuous improvement. Um, and that starts with the, on, uh, the onboarding experience. It really does. So there you have it, full circle, um, the four corner pieces to the puzzle. And I know we are really just scratching the surface here, but hopefully um, some of these puzzle pieces can be a great foundation to many more of uh, your volunteer engagement efforts. I mean, I don't know how they couldn't. I mean, hearing yeah. it and from having volunteer experience and leading volunteers, I mean, these are such critical cogs to making the whole system work. And I love that you just pointed to using story to engage. And mm -hmm. I think that's really important because we can get all mechanical of like, we got to do these 12 things. But at the end of the day, it's like the stories are what keep people connected to it. And so I think lifting those and especially as they align with the values and all the different things, there's ways to teach using stories. Um, I think that's a really powerful thing that you brought out. So I love that you said that. Hey friends, taking a quick pause from today's episode to say that we just love to connect with you. And the best way to do so is to join the good community. It's free. Just head on over to weareforgood.com slash hello, and we can connect with all the resources, tips, tools, and show notes to help you do more for your mission. We can't wait to get to know you. Now, let's get back to this and awesome feel-good conversation. I also think the genius of this approach of a puzzle is that she didn't say like the four squares because four squares are going to sit isolated. 
in a box, but the puzzle is so integrated and you cannot have this harmonious experience for, for a volunteer unless there is sort of this interconnected component to it, which again, I think that is the genius of this approach that one thing removed, one puzzle piece removed from this and boom, your volunteer does not have a, a critical part of how they can be um, part of the miracle that's already happening on the front lines of what you're doing. So I'm going to play devil's advocate for a little bit for people (laughs) that are listening on the other end saying, you know, yes, I want to have multi-phase communication. Yes, I want to keep training, but how do I do that? Because how how do I be everywhere? How, How do I help Becky's grandma, you know, and I love you, grandma, um, (laughs) who's trying to navigate this on her iPhone, you know, with somebody who's um, a millennial, you know, or a 20, you know, a star-eyed 22-year-old that just wants to serve. How do you be in all those spaces? Do you have some tips or some hacks for somebody that may feel a little overwhelmed by all of that? Oh, certainly. Well, first of all, uh, it's okay to feel that way. It's very normal to feel that way. There is always so much to do. And um, people that enter the nonprofit professional um, profession have giving hearts. And so we want to do everything and we want to find ways to solve all the problems and meet all the needs and serve all the people. And so it's really easy to get stretched thin and experience compassion fatigue. Um, I think that's true for the volunteers. I think it's true for the staff members. You know, it's really true for anybody serving the mission. And so, you know, be in tune with yourself, know yourself and how to identify uh, when you might be experiencing compassion fatigue. But um, as far as setting yourself up for success, I think really looking to your volunteer base to help you with your volunteer base is something that not a lot of folks can um it's not easy to wrap your head around because it's not necessarily your first instinct, but it can really be a game changer. Do you have a volunteer that's really great with um, the program, the digital programs that you're implementing in your volunteer base? Can that volunteer help train other volunteers on how to use it? Sort of that peer-to-peer interaction. Um, do you have a major announcement that you need to convey to your volunteers that it's going to take some time for you to really do that change management? Use your volunteers to help make that announcement. You know, you're you're one voice and you might be a beautiful, strong voice, but you're one voice. And so if you can get a focus group together and say, hey, volunteers, I need you to contact, you know, 10 of your peers or five of your peers or whatever that number may be, and then have them, you know, go on and on and on and really help you magnify your voice louder than you can yourself. Um, that's really going to be a way a way to help you, I think, um, is to really, you know, going back to knowing your volunteers, you can't know them without that ongoing communication and without that good first impression of laying the foundation from the start. And as you know them, you're going to start to identify their strong suits and their skills and what they're great at. And you can really use that to help them achieve leadership roles in your organization if it fits um, and and save you time and stress and, and everybody's serving and everybody's happy and we're more productive all along. So I think you know use your volunteers they're there to help and they want to brilliant hack so you guys I am a -a make-a-wish volunteer (laughs) so (laughs) I can I'm gonna pipe in and give just like my perspective because Lindsay is so good at her job but I clearly I can say that because I've been on the other end of it um but I've been volunteering for make-a-wish for quite a few years and it is the most hands-on volunteer experience that you can have you're involved in the entire wish process with your wish kid and it really is at 
um, your accessibility. So it's whenever you're free that you sign up to help with a wish. And so it's been a constant in my life. And when I have the availability, I sign up and I help with a wish and you get to meet with the kid and take them to ice cream and help them narrow down their wish. And my favorite wish kid wanted to go to Australia. And this is when his name was Sam. And this is when I was in college. So I had ample amounts of time to make this creative. And so volunteers are tasked with creating wish enhancements for their wish kids. Um, And so you can get as creative as you want, depending on if your kid is shy or not shy. Sam was not shy. So you are paired with another volunteer. So myself and the other volunteer coordinated a um, big announcement at his school assembly. Then we did this big um, like safari themed <laughs> presentation for him to announce that he was going to Australia. And I'll never forget his, the look on his face. Um, I mean, I, I'm here to say everybody should be a volunteer, but it really rallies communities. It rallied um, a lot of the people in the Norman community were cheering for him and he had has cystic fibrosis. So um, Wankowish is very much a joy side of a lot of very hard situations. Um, so that's why I love it. You get to just be the fun, happy things in their life. And he got to go to Australia and it was a great trip. So that's, I'm sure you have a million stories, Lindsay, but that's well, my personal. 499,999 exactly. more. That's just one. And they wow. are, they get so creative. There's celebrity wishes, there's trip wishes. There's some people wish to get a gift for someone else and they're just great. So I'm sure you have oh. other stories, Lindsay, that you could share, but that is my personal one. Oh, thanks for sharing, Julie. Oh, you're such a great wish granter. You really are. And it's true. It's such a, a wish granter. You're not a volunteer. Which you're a one wish. of my sound effects is the I don't want granter. you to push, push a sound effect one. because that has come back to bite us. And this is so magical. And and I, I you know, I'm going to emote here because my head was on the ground um, on the table while Julie was talking because this is such a wholesome story. And I mean, there's so many ways I can go with this, but the thing that I just like want everyone listening right now, uh, do a science experiment today, get off Facebook, go to Google, type in make a wish stories and lose yourself. Because I mean, I, I just think in a time such as this, that we are living in, which is otherworldly, you know, there, there is so much derision and, and this to me shows the best in humanity. We talk Mm -hmm. so much about creating an impact uprising. We want to create a kindness revolution. And to me, make a wish has been doing that since 1980 or 81 or whenever that was. I mean, I have a picture in my head for the last, however many minutes we've been talking of the story of the little boy who wanted to be Batman in San Francisco. Do you remember? I mean, everybody remembered how viral that story was. And the, the thing that struck me so much about that story and I bet this is, again, one of 499,998. How many have we covered today? I mean, the whole community wanted to be a part of that. Everyone wanted to be a part of it. It was a massive um, movement of grace, of kindness, of love, and of, of buying into this idea of the purity of childhood innocence and, and dreams. And that is what I think brings out the best in humanity. I mean, even all, those of us who couldn't be there, like I shared that story 10 times because it just made me feel good. And to know that there are college students who could lean into this and that you would create a volunteer opportunity for a Julie who I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Sam changed Julie's life in some profound way by just 
virtue of being an extension of that. I just think this nonprofit, I'm geeking out. It's like, how can we take the goodness of what's going on in this mission and just infuse it everywhere? So that is your homework today as you get off is go to Google do some make a wish story. Um, and do, are we over? Can I ask, can I please ask Lindsay? Ask. I, w- I want you to share your favorite wish story with us. My favorite wish story. It's so hard that, you know, every, every wish story is so beautiful and it's fun to see, you know, I should probably mention, of course, all these in-person interactions were pre-COVID and our volunteers mm-hmm. have really embraced the shift to virtual volunteerism with virtual enhancements and virtual visits, taking training courses online in a virtual space that might be new to them, um, you know, really doing everything they can do to make wishes continue. Um, so that's been really special. I, gosh, a favorite. It's like, you know, picking your favorite child. I, I really can't pick a favorite. I can name a few recent ones um, that have really been special to my heart. Um, last week, I mentioned Wish Kid Karina. So this is a really special story, and Julie hinted at it earlier. You know, many times we have wishes to meet a celebrity, wishes to have something like a shopping spree or a puppy or a playhouse, you know, something local, Um, you know, lots of wish types, but it's really special when we have a child wish to give and wish to impact the community um, with this opportunity of a wish that they receive. I'm about, I'm I'm dead. I need to prepare myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So wish kid Karina, and this is a fun one to tell about because you can look up the actual video and, and really kind of experience it. We'll post Um, it in the show notes people go to the show notes. <laughs> the show okay. notes. Excellent. Um, so Karina really, you know, she was exploring ideas for her wish. It's part of the process. And she thought about the support she received from her family and friends throughout her medical journey. And she, she was grateful for that. And she wanted to find a way to share some of that care and support with other children that were going through similar journeys. And, you know, she had fond memories of her carefree days at summer camp, a place where problems and stresses can take a backseat to fun and laughter. So through her wish, um, Karina hoped to create joyous memories for sick kids around the world. And uh, she created Camp Karina. And so uh, you'll be able to watch a video. It premiered. It was live at um, 11, 11 a.m. Make-A-Wish Pacific time. This was uh, just last Wednesday, September 23rd. And it was an incredible camp featuring WISH alumni and activities for WISH kids at home to, you know, be safely distanced, but to have this way to connect and experience some joy, some joy and really, you know, forget about their critical illness for a while. And that was a really special wish, let alone the huge milestone of 500,000 wishes. Um, It was just, it's a really special one. And so they're all special. They're all near and dear to my heart. The first wish I really um, got to experience kind of from a volunteer perspective uh, was a wish child named Raina who wished to meet Katy Perry. And this is another one um, that you'll, you might want to post in the show notes. Um, just a really special experience throughout Raina's treatment. She would listen to the song Roar by Katy Perry and it would really just give her strength and, and motivation to keep pushing and you know relearning how to do many things like talking and walking again due to her diagnosis. And so, uh, 
you know, the day that she got to meet Katy Perry and sit backstage with her uh, before a concert and sing a sing roar together and meet Katy Perry's dog. You know, it was just it was an amazing experience. And, you know, so many celebrities, uh, they love to grant wishes and um, they're so amazing with our wish kids. And, you know, hearing Katy shout out Raina's name during the concert, it's just there's nothing like it. There's nothing like this mission. It really is the goodness that we all need to get on board yeah. with right now, you know, cause I love what I love about this mission as you've talked about it today and we've kind of pondered it is it throws the practical completely out the window, you know, and <laughs> we it's love like we allow and our, we love disruption. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And we just allow ourselves to be kids and celebrate childhood that doesn't think practically and efficiently, but it's like, of course, we're going to go to Australia and we're going to go sit with Katy Perry and all these crazy things. Um, but I just love that you champion that. And I love that you um, rally volunteers to champion that because I feel like we need a heck of a lot more of that mm -hmm. happening right now. So, okay. We ask everybody, Lindsay, to share your one good thing. And so I wonder if there's something you could share with us. It's either a life hack tip piece of advice that we could implement today. It's a toughie. There are so many good things. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I, I really do believe it's what we're doing right now. Um, truthfully, I think it's learning from others and building a habit of discovery within the field. We've got to recognize the community of nonprofit and the potential that it provides, not even just limited to the people that work in nonprofit, but people that care about missions and want to serve them however they can. I think it's really easy to fall into this mentality of only working with people in your small circle or only doing things the way you've always done them and hope that it continues to work um, or being hesitant to reach out to colleagues at other organizations because it might feel taboo but really we just end up recreating the wheel time and time again and we can do so much more good together by collaborating and sharing ideas and helping each other learn from our own our own mistakes or, or sharing things that worked for us in hopes that a piece of it might resonate with someone else and they can make it their own. So, um, I, you know, I, I really applaud you guys uh, for what you're doing in these efforts. It's a breath of fresh air. It's, it's a really, it's a good thing. <laughs> we, thank you. Thank That's you, very Lindsay. nice. But I also think if there's someone listening today, we have quite a few listeners that don't work in the nonprofit space. I mean, that was such a good tip of like, but look at make a wish. It is such an easy way that you can get on, get involved in something that's bigger than you and help make the world just a little bit better. So Lindsay, where can people uh, connect with you, connect with make a wish? Uh, are you on social anywhere? We certainly are. We're on social. Um, we're on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, you know, all of the above. I recommend, uh, you know, the easiest way to find us, just go to wish.org, W-I-S-H.org. And uh, like you said, Becky, read some wish stories, uh, maybe even watch some videos, but they're going to tell you on that website how to get involved. They're going to help you find your local chapter of the 59 chapters of Make-A-Wish. And there's so many ways to get involved. Um, my goodness, there's so many volunteer roles. And if you think you have a skill set that could serve us, you know, let us know about it. We would certainly love it. Um, but check out wish.org and, and see how you might want to get involved. Yes, that's much better than Google. Google could lead you astray. Go to wish.org. <laughs> Thank you. Lindsay, you are a delight. I just feel like I have grown so much and my heart has expanded since you've been on uh, this call. And, and we just really appreciate your gift so much. Thank you. Oh, we well, appreciate thank you, you for having me. Keep doing really what you're doing. We need it in the world. <laughs> we do. 
You're kind. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure and, and really a treat. So thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope this conversation with Lindsay gave you all the feels and challenged how you can deepen volunteer engagement opportunities for good. Did you know every week we share our best roundup of content, freebies, and notes heard on each episode? Head over to weareforgood.com backslash hello to join our mailing list. And you'll hear from us weekly with resources and tips to help you do more for your mission. If you loved what you heard today, would you stop what you're doing and hit subscribe? It really does help more people find us and join our good community. Our production hero was a college-age wish granter and champion for good, Julie Confer. Our theme song is Sunray by Remy Borspoon. Go rock this week, do-gooders. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.